Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. We want to welcome you and everyone who's worshiping online with us today. Now, we're in this series about being messy. Look at the person next to you and say, you are a hot mess. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Some of you enjoyed that way too much. You, you've been wanting to say that for a long time, haven't you? Did you know that in the 19th century, we talked about a hot mess? It was referring to the military. It was talking about a meal. It says the, a mess kit or mess hall. That was a hot mess back in the 19th century. In the 20th century, a hot mess was actually a conflict, a battle, where it was a dangerous situation. And so if you were in a battle with fighting with people, you might say it's a hot mess. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. People are getting killed. Then in the 21st century, we came along, we have a new definition for a hot mess. Did you know what that is? It's an attractive disaster. <laughs> Look around the room and see how many of those you can find today, will you? An attractive disaster. In other words, they seem to have their life together. Everything looks okay, but underneath the surface, they're just a hot mess. They go to work. They go to school. They do what they need to do to function, and yet what's happened in life is that really they're just really struggling to get through, okay? So now that you know what a hot mess is, we've said that I know a hot mess when I see one because I am one. That's right. And so we're all a hot mess. We really are. And thank God that he doesn't leave us that way. He loves us the way we are, but he leave, loves us too much to leave us that way. And so he wants to transform us. Now, last Sunday, I shared a special message with you. And if you didn't get to see it, I hope that you'll see it because there's only so much time on a Sunday morning that I have. And I spoke a long time. But in that message, I shared with you about a lot of people in the Bible that met Jesus, changed their lives completely. And so what happened was each one of them had something in common, and they all had to stand up in front of a crowd and recognize who Jesus was and, and say, you know, I want to follow you. You know, because when we get in a mess, we say to God, I want you to fix it. And God says, no, I don't want to just fix it for you because then I'll be fixing it every time. I want you to follow me. I want you to have a life with me. I want you to walk through life, enjoy life. You, you've got access to me 24-7. I want to help you grow and mature in your faith. I want to see mature Christians, okay? And so I want to start today by saying last week I asked several people, I asked you to stand if you, if you wanted to for whatever your commitment was. Well, I talked about a lot of different things. Some of you might have been a first-time commitment. Others of you might have something to do with relationships, family members, all kinds of different things. But a big group of people stood up at 9 o'clock, and a big group of people stood up at 10.15, which is really a challenge. I mean, that, that takes a lot of courage to do that. And I only had so much time. So today, I want to just kind of follow up on that and say, yeah, please watch last week's message. But let me ask you a question. What's next? What's next? If you've made a decision for Christ, if you've taken a step toward Christ, if you've said, Lord, I want you to work in this area of my life, if you've said, Lord, I want to I see progress here, what does that mean for you? What's next? And more importantly, what does it mean for God? 
What does God want to see happen in you and me now that we're trying to follow him faithfully? Now, I want to start by just quickly giving you a series of little testimonials about my life, and it's not about me. The reason I'm doing this is because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I want you to just embrace that whole thought, that scripture. I want you to really believe that because he's begun a good work in you if you're a Christian, and he's going to be faithful to complete it. So here's just a little capsule of some of the ways he's been faithful in my life. When I was a baby, my mother said she was rocking me to sleep. And the thought occurred to her that we lived on a very busy street, and soon I would be able to walk and maybe get out the front door. And, and she knew that if, she, if I wasn't supervised, that I was too young, I, I could walk right out into the traffic and, and be hit by a car, and it scared her. And in the Bible, a lot of times what parents did is they gave their children, their firstborn, to God. And she prayed a prayer, and she said, Lord, I'm going to give you this baby, and I want you to use him for your purposes, and, and I'm going to trust you to do that. When I was three years old, I was at my great-grandmother's house in the country. A lot of extended family were around. I stood up on a stool. I told everybody to sit down and be quiet because I was going to preach. <laughs> now, now, here's what I want you to know. My mother didn't tell me those stories until long after I went into the ministry. I didn't know anything about that. When I was 10 years old, I accepted Christ, and it was genuine, and it was real for me. And when I was 16, I rededicated my life to Christ at that time. Now, here's what happened. I'm going to quickly tell you about that experience. Some friends took me to a Bible study in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, down at Middle Tennessee State University. A lot of college kids there, and these people were serious about their faith. And I went into this Bible study, and I knew what it meant to be a Christian, but I was really waffling in my faith, and I, I was trying to just get along with everybody in the world, you know, my, my non-Christian friends and my Christian friends. And I saw these genuine Christians there, and, and that, that night somebody prayed for me, and I made a decision, you know, I need to get serious about my faith. One of the guys that was part of that study had been with a group of believers, a group of a fellowship together, and a lot of those people were made up of some of the witnesses who had been at the Great Revival at Asbury College in 1970. On February the 3rd, 1970, at Asbury College, a revival broke out in chapel. And the reason it broke out was because somebody, a student, got up and confessed sin, and then somebody else got up. And then somebody else got up, and it just kept going from there. And it was supposed to be just a normal, routine day, just going to be chapel. Now we're going back to class. They called class off, and people just stayed in Hughes Auditorium at the college. And it just kept going and going. And it went for several days, and CBS News came down to Wilmore, Kentucky from Lexington, and, and, and they tried to make some sense of what was going on. But basically, it was just a movement of the Holy Spirit. It was just God and him pouring his spirit out on people. And, and they have videos. You can go and, and go online and read about it. Uh, it was February the 3rd, 1970, the revival at Asbury College. And so I'd already planned to tell you about that. My, uh, what happened was that, that my uh, mother-in-law had gone to Asbury College when she was in college, and then she came home at the break, and World War II broke out in December. And so she couldn't go back to college. And she had always wanted Laura, my wife, to go to Asbury College, but she didn't tell us that. And then we got married, and I went to Asbury Seminary. And so Laura finished school, graduated from Asbury College. And we didn't know that until we got to Asbury College, that that's where her mother wanted her to go. And it was a delight for her mother to see that. 
As I look back at all those events, I see God's hand in all of that and how that revival affected me indirectly. And then I ended up a student there. And I was working on this sermon. And while I was working on this sermon this week and planned to tell you about the revival, I got word that revival had broken out at Asbury College. It's been over 50 years since that happened. This week in chapel, it happened again. And it's still happening right now. And it's an amazing thing. And, and you can go online and read about that and, and watch it and see some of the things that are happening there. But it all began because people got serious about their faith and they confessed sin. And so last week I saw people get serious about their faith. And, you know, I said in the Bible that the people who stood up in front of the crowd, they were among enemies. But I said, you're not among enemies. You're among friends. And so you can stand up today, and you did. And I just celebrate that because what happens when that takes place is that God wants to work in our lives. And, and I can't wait to see what happens as a result of the, the revival that's going on at Asbury College right now. Now, when I was in college, I couldn't decide what I should major in. I tried several different majors, and I kind of stumbled through the first three years of college. And then I was always minoring in religion, though, all three of those years. And then I prayed for God to show me what he wanted me to do. And when I was 21, he confirmed my call into the ministry. And I also prayed for him to show me who he wanted me to marry. When I was 20, 23, he sent Laura into my life. So I transferred to another college. I majored in religion and philosophy. I finished very quickly, graduated, made good grades, went on to graduate school. And basically the bottom line is I said yes to God, just like many of you said yes to God last week. And so this point is so simple because it reflects how God works in our lives as Christians. And if you paraphrase Philippians 1, 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now, here's what I want to know. Do you believe that? I mean, if some of you have given up today because maybe you embraced that at one time, but it's just not working out the way you thought it would. Things are not going the way you had planned. It's not seeming to come together the way you wished it would. And so you're asking yourself, well, God, are you through with me? Is this all there is? What do you want to see happen? And what I want you to know is that God wants to bring what he started in you to completion. When I almost died several years ago, he gave, kept me around to serve him. And it was through the grace of God and the prayers of a lot of people that I'm alive today. But this is not about me. And this is not about me being something special. This is about all of us in the body of Christ having a testimony. God's working inside of us because he wants to bring something out of us. It's not just for us. It's for other people's benefit. All of you have a testimony if you know Christ. And all of us are encouraged to not just go through life, but to see that God will make a way when we think there is no way. There's something that's going on inside of us, and nothing that happens surprises God. He sees it all. And God takes the messes of our lives, and he redeems them. So I want you to be encouraged today because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen? I want you to hear that. We've been through this series. We've talked about the fact that we're all a mess. And we've said, I know a mess when I see one because I am one. And somehow in life, we think that we have to clean up the mess in our lives before we can present ourselves to God. And that's just the opposite. God says, you're the reason I came. <laughs> Look at you. Don't you think you need help? And he says, I love you. And I'm the one who can help you. And Jesus, when he got here, he said, hey, I 
am the solution, and I'm here for you. I came to earth to just clean up your messy mess. And so whatever your struggle is, maybe you're in a big mess right now, whatever it is, I want you to know that God is there for us. And he says, look, don't be, don't be worried about looking around and being critical of other people because you and I are just one dumb decision from being a mess ourselves, right? If we're not one today, we've been one in the past, we'll be one in the future. And so just don't get too high and mighty, don't get too cocky because we're all in the same boat. And we can take Jesus' advice to what? To yank the plank. You know what that means? You know what that means? How many of you know what that means? How many of you listen when I preach on Sunday? <laughs> this is not just a time for you to take a power nap, okay? Jesus said, don't worry about the speck that's in somebody else's eye. Look at the log that's in your eye. In other words, yank the plank. Do some, deal with yourself. And if you want to be, if you want to focus on other people, pray for them and encourage them and help them. And then we know that, you know, what do we say when God points out our mess to us and shows it to us or we show it to him and we're honest about it? And he said, well, we say nobody's perfect, right? And we're not. We're far from it. We're not perfect. And so we recognize that. But where does that come from? There's this innate standard that's in all of us that says, you know, I'm just not who I want to be. I'm not who I need to be. I'm, I'm not what I want to see happening in my life. Because as Christians, we believe that we all fall short of God's glorious ideal, right? And yet, he's the conscience and he's the heart that speaks to us all the time. And, and we believe that Jesus loves all the little messes all the little messes in the world. We believe that because of John 3.16, because it, the Bible tells us that he came to save us and deliver us. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't clean ourselves up. But he says, hey, I've come down here. I'm not going to do it from a distance. I'm just going to get right in the middle of the mess with you, and I'm going to take care of you and clean you up. Now, last week we talked about those encounters of people who had been in a mess. And Jesus said, when you think about God, the clearest picture of God is just think of him as a loving heavenly father. Just think of him as somebody who really cares about you. He loves you just the way you are, but he's not going to leave you there. And Christians, here's what I want us to see. It's not a long cycle of making a mess over and over and over and over and over again and asking forgiveness over and over. I mean, that's so defeating, isn't it? Because God doesn't expect perfection. Don't you feel better about that? God doesn't expect perfection, but you know what he does expect? Pursuit. Pursuit. Don't give up because God hadn't given up on you. And God wants to work in your life. And he's very, very attuned to everything that's going on in you. The apostle Paul, he became a Christian after the resurrection. And he got to know people like John and Matthew and Peter. And they hung out with Jesus. And he began creating churches in the Mediterranean around that area. In fact, he was the one who started the first church in Europe. And it was in Greece. And it was in Philippi. And after he planted the church there, he writes them a letter 10 years later just to check on them. And they made copies of the letter, and they circulated the letter, and they collected it. And it later became part of the New Testament, and we call it the book of Philippians. But it wasn't a book when he wrote it. It was just a letter that he was writing to those people in Greece. And here's what he says. And by the way, he wrote this when he was in prison in Rome. And Nero was the emperor. Listen, if you're a Christian in Rome and Nero's the emperor, it's not going to turn out good for you, okay? And it didn't turn out for him the way he wanted because he died there. 
But in spite of that, he's writing to these Christians who are living in Philippi, and this is what he says. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he went on and said this, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. See, what he's saying is, is those people, I started a church and those people became Christians. And, and I want you to know that God has just started the work in you, but he's not through. And, you know, there have been times in my life when I've prayed and I've said, Lord, don't give up on me. Let me tell you, that's a prayer you never have to pray. Because God, he, he doesn't give up on us. We may give up on ourselves. But God says, how could I possibly? You're my child. I love you. I'll never give up on you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. I'll never give up on you. And he says, from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You see, we say to God all the time, fix it. And he said, no, that's a quick fix. Well, what I want you to do is follow me. And follow me is a process. Follow me is gradual. It's slow. Follow me is God plants a seed. He does some work inside of us, and then he spends years bringing it out of us because he's bringing us to maturity. And you can't rush maturity, okay? The law of the harvest. You ever plant a seed? You ever plant a seed for some kind of plant or something? And you plant it. You can sing over it. You can pray over it. You, you can uh, water it and fertilize it. You know, you can do whatever you want to, but you can't make it come up out of the ground. <laughs> Only God can do that. It's a process. And then it begins to flourish and it flowers. And I'm absolutely confident that God is doing something in you. He's still doing something in you and it's going to take time. And he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. There's something on the inside. He wants to bring it to the outside for other people's benefit. Now, Christianity is not behavior modification. It's the essence of God renewing our hearts and minds to a different level and seeing different behavior because of it. But it's not behavior modification. It's not stop and start again and again allowing God to work because we messed up. But rather it's simply saying, Lord, it's just a process, and I want you to complete what you began in me because he wants to. And so what we need to learn is to participate with God in the process because he has begun something in us. It's going to take time, but it's going to happen inside of us and it's going to come out of us. Now, the first thing we see is this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's number one. He says this, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, which means it is a lifelong process. As long as you follow Jesus, God is going to continue the work inside of you. And God is not trying to keep us from something. God is trying to complete something in us. What God wants to do is mature us. And so a person participates with their heavenly father and says, Lord, you know, I want you to mature me. Now, what would he do to mature you? How would you know that you're becoming a mature Christian following him? Well, one of the things that happens is you begin to have an inner confidence, but it's not in you, it's in him. Because you begin to realize, you know, God's with me. 
And whatever I got to face, God's going to go with me. And whatever's in front of me, God has put me in this situation. And God's going to complete it. And he wants to do something through me. So I'm not by myself. I'm not the Lone Ranger. God is here with me. And when we begin to grow, we see maturity and security. And he says, Paul is praying. And he's praying for these people to grow in their faith. And he's saying, I'm, I'm absolutely confident that what he began in you, he's going to bring to fruition. And here's one of the tips he says. He says, number two, may your love grow for others. May your love for others grow. Now listen, that's one of the marks of Christian maturity. How could I show God that I really love him? How could I show God that I want to be faithful and obedient? How can I measure what God's doing in me? When we learn to love other people and put them first, God says, I'm proud of you because I see you making progress. You know, when we have children, we want our children to get along with each other, don't we? And we want them to always love each other. And I even pray for my kids that they'll always be close. For all of their lives, they'll be close to one another. Well, that's what God says about you and me. He said, we're all his kids. And he wants all of us to love one another. And let me ask you a question. Do you love other people? Do you have patience with other people? Do you really care about it? Do people get on your nerves? Do people bug you? Do, you know, I, t I tell stories all the time, and they're crazy stories, right? They're stories about muffins. I talk about muffins and how this one woman controlled the muffins, and she would only let you eat them 15 minutes a day. You couldn't get them any other time. You know, I got to love that muffin lady, okay? I'm still working on that. And he says, this is my prayer, that your love for may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. What does that mean? He said, I want, you, I want that to be the epicenter of your faith in God, that you'll love other people. He says, I'm praying for your love for other people and just get bigger and better. So that's the challenge I want to ask you today first. Is the love that you have for other people getting bigger and better? Do you see any progress from the time you first became a Christian until today in that area? And then the third thing is learn to do what is right for others. Do the right thing for the others. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want you to learn to discern, he says, and to get better at loving other people. Now, here's what God says. I'm not trying to make you a better behavior, okay? I'm trying to make you a better lover of people. That really is a focus of his. Did you know God's not trying to make you a better behavior? That's Christian maturity when we see that, especially loving people who are difficult to love. One of the signs of maturity is when you see another person the way God sees that person. When you start having a heart of God and you start having the eyes of God and you start seeing people from that perspective and you respond accordingly. I'm not just seeing what they did to me and how they treated me, but I'm looking beyond that, and I'm looking at them as a heavenly father would look at them. That's the mark of spiritual maturity. And it's, that's better than just messing up and trying to stay out of trouble all the time because that's just so defeating. Following Jesus is not primarily about doing what's right because doing what's right is just about you and me, right? 
but it's about raising the bar as Jesus did. And here's how you'll know if you're doing what God has called you to do. If you have love for one another, it's not just in your prayer life, it's not just scripture memory, it's not just church attendance, but do I really love the people that God loves, the people who are far from them? But one day Jesus says, if you come to bring your offering to God in the temple, and you get there and you're about to do that and you realize, you know, there's somebody that I'm at odds with over here that I, I haven't settled it with. He said, put down your offering, leave, go find that person, make things right with them before you try to make things right with God. He's saying, make that a priority. And when Jesus said that, the people in the first century gasped and they said, I can't believe you said that. Are you saying that we're supposed to love people, put other people ahead of God? And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the way that you love God is to love other people because that's who God loves. And when you put their needs and their desires ahead of yours, then what you're seeing is what your heavenly father does. Jesus raised the bar. Following Jesus is not primarily about doing what's right. Following Jesus is about doing what's right for other people. Amen? Let me ask you a question. Isn't it true that you rarely make a mess by doing what's best for other people? Then you're on the right track. To address the mess is to say, Lord, I, I want you to just do whatever you want to do in me and through me, and I want it to be a blessing to other people who you began this work and you're going to bring it to completion. So you could pray, Heavenly Father, complete the work that you've begun in me, and the Holy Spirit will teach us, and he'll remove our selfishness, and he'll renew our thinking, and he'll develop qualities in us that are more and more Christ-like. Paul described this process when he said, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And as we travel heavenward, we cooperate with him because we are a construction process that he's building. And the Bible then tells us that someday we shall be like him. We get to heaven, we'll be made perfect perfectly conformed to our Savior's likeness. One day, Billy and Ruth Graham were traveling, and they were driving through all kinds of construction, and it was really slow, and there were numerous slowdowns and detours and stops along the way, and finally, they got through the construction, and, and the road just reached out in front of them smoothly, and now they could travel on. And there was a sign right before they left that construction zone that caught Ruth's attention, and it said, End of Construction. Thanks for your patience. And Ruth Graham looked at Billy Graham and said, that would be a great inscription on a tombstone. And you know what? As Christians, it would be a great inscription on our tombstone. In fact, I think I'm going to have them put it on mine. Several years ago, Laura checked with her cousin. That there's a family plot up there in the hills of Tennessee and, and he was, she was saying, now, can we be buried there? She's checking on that, make sure it's all taken care of. I said, baby, you want me to lay down so you can measure this and see if it'll fit all right? Have you got the date scheduled? I mean, every day it's just a toss-up between my pension and my life insurance. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, someday it's going to happen. I mean, it's inevitable, right? Nobody lives forever. And so maybe that would be something that we'd want our life to say. 
not just on our tombstone. End of construction. Thanks for your patience. And as we allow God to construct who he wants us to be and who he wants us to influence around us, if we're still here, he's not finished with us. You don't ever have to pray, Lord, don't give up on me. He'll never do that. You may give up on yourself, but he won't. And he can restore your faith and your hope even in yourself with his strength and power. When I was in college, there was this buddy of mine. He used to sing this song all the time, and, and it really spoke to me. I love these words, and, and I'm going to share it with you now. So get excited because I'm going to sing. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Here's what it says. Never use the word defeat. Claim his promises, every one of them, because every spoken word he'll keep because we're everything to him. There are some promises in a letter written a long, long time ago. They're not getting older. They're getting better because he still wants us to know he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. He didn't let us lift us up to let us down. Father, thank you. Thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that we are a work in progress. Thank you that even though we're a hot mess, you love us anyway. And you just take our lives and you clean us all up. And you formulate in us who you want us to be and you work through us and it comes out of us and we're a blessing to other people and you use that for your purposes. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to work in all of our lives. That, that last Sunday, the people who stood, that would be the first step toward a faithful walk with you forever. Whatever their area they're talking about, whatever decision they made, I just pray it'd be real. And Lord, you didn't just change people in the Bible, you're still changing people today. And there are people here today that you can work in their life. And so today, Lord, if there's somebody sitting here and they're saying, you know, Lord, I, I want that for my life. I'm a mess and I need your help. I pray that they would just turn their lives over to you and ask you to, to come and clean up that mess that they've made and walk with you every day and know that you love them and that you'll give them confidence in you and that they can see victory in their lives. And Lord, we just thank you for that. It's a privilege to be with you daily. And Lord, we pray that we might love other people the way that you love them. Put people in our path this week that we might show love to. Help us to see Christian maturity. Help us to grow in our And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said.